Hello, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts, a podcast where you, our listeners, can become part of a conversation with us. We are three therapists who are going to talk about the good, the hard, and all the in-betweens of life. Come join us. Okay, guys, quick disclaimer, you will notice in this episode that we have a little bit of a sound issue. We, it just happens sometimes when you podcast sound issues happen, but we feel so strongly about this episode with Jordan. We just couldn't re-record it because the authenticity and the vulnerability that she displayed in this was just undeniable and we loved it. It was so powerful. So if you can just please push through, if you need to take a break, take a break, but come back um, because you will not regret listening to this entire episode because there's some really, really great stuff and her message is important. So hang in there with us and thank you. Okay, welcome to Thoughts on Thoughts. Um, We are so excited today because we have a guest to interview. So we have our sweet new friend, Jordan, and she has agreed to come onto the podcast today and to talk to us about a very, very hard experience that she had 18 months ago. And she is going to take us through it and then guide us through what her experience with therapy was in terms of this experience. So Jordan, thank you for joining us. Thank you for having me. Really? We're just here for whatever you want to share, whatever insights you have for people. But um, I did love in your Instagram message when you did talk about therapy and how that just, I think in, in the message, you literally said it saved you. And that was just so powerful for me, like reading that. And I just felt like a lot of energy from you that that really was really true for you. And so I think that that would be powerful for our listeners to hear about as well as your story, but as well as your healing journey. Yes. I think that's really inspiring for sure. Oh, well, thank you. And I, so I have to be honest, my therapy journey started before my husband even passed away, actually. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of interesting how it's all intertwined. Mm-hmm. So I I grew up in a family that was a, an awesome home. I mean, my parents were phenomenal. I have great siblings. And we never really, I never dealt with anything in my life that made it so that I would ever even consider therapy. Like I did mm-hmm. never have any depression or anxiety, or I just had a really happy upbringing. Mm-hmm. So therapy, I think in my family wasn't a taboo, but we were probably the family that looked at therapy maybe in a way of only people with problems go. And I say that just because I think that a lot of people naturally think that. And I know I did. Like, I know I was in a place that at one point in my life, if I did kind of think of therapy in that way. Um, and I so eat my words now, but at one point that was, that was just kind of how I thought. Cause again, I didn't really have a reason for it or a need for it in my life. Um, and then I had my baby, my little girl, and I remember coming home from the hospital and the first week having her, 
being like the only way I could describe it to my husband was like someone else. Like I was a puppet and someone else was controlling me and I was just crazy. I just felt so crazy. And it was the weirdest. I've never felt that way mentally, like so out of control of my own mind almost. And everyone kept telling me it's the baby blues. This is normal. And I just kept thinking, this isn't normal. This isn't normal. And, and it was, and it was weird because I kept, I would research, you know, postpartum depression and postpartum anxiety and all these things. And, and mine was so not what I was like, what I was reading about because mine was Mm -hmm. all triggered towards my husband and in a, in in an attachment way. So I had my baby and had no, no attachment issues as far as with her. You know, I didn't have any, I wasn't depressed. I wasn't, it was, I was fine as far as with her, mm-hmm. but my husband would leave for work and I'm not even joking. He'd leave for work and I would sit at the door shaking, sobbing and oh. being like, something's going to happen to him. Something's going to happen to him. I couldn't even like get through a day without him. And if you said his name, I would just fall. Oh. <laughs> I would just fall. Oh, my heart. It was, it was so, it was so odd. And my cute, cute husband, I remember told me like two weeks in, he was like, babe, I love you so much. And I'm not going to lie. I've always wanted you to kind of need me a little bit more because I'm a really independent person. But he was like, I don't even know how to help you. Like, yeah. I, I worry so much about when I leave you because it was all about him. Yeah. And it was just so weird because it was like everything I researched, everything I Googled, I was like, There's, people usually have kind of the reverse of what I'm doing. They they kind of don't want anything to do with their stuff. Mm-hmm. And I was over here like, <gasps> so it was weird. It was it just, again, not so not in control. Yeah. So I had told him, I have a my OB who I just think works, walks on water, uh, told me, I kind of talked to her about it and she's very holistic and, and I'm more of a holistic person. I don't love medication I don't love not and and I'm not there is definitely a place for that but for me I didn't I didn't want medication I was like no I want to work through this so she suggested well have you ever thought about going to therapy and I was like um no (laughs) I've I've never (laughs) had a need to go to therapy and she was like well maybe let's start there she said Mm -hmm. maybe let's try that and just kind of see if maybe we can retrain your brain like if the therapist can can kind of help you give you tools to kind of work through it. Mm-hmm. And I said, great, that, that sounds great. So I found a therapist um, and I talked to my husband about it and he was like, honey, whatever you want to do. He said, I am, I am all for doing whatever you think is best for you. And at this point, I can't even remember how far into it I was, but so I find my therapist and he completely blew me out of the water. And really? I think that I feel bad for people who try therapy because I have lots of friends because I rave about it. And I have mm-hmm. now for three plus years. And my friends will say, I tried it and I, I didn't like my therapist or we didn't connect. And I, I tell people all the time, obviously, you need to find the right one, one that mm-hmm. works for you because pe- different people have different personalities. And, and, it, and you do need to find one that you drive with. And I do believe that. And I was fortunate to find my, the very first one I tried. Him and I oh. just worked. And I wanted, a, I wanted someone who, who maybe, I, I, the idea of like going to a male therapist for whatever reason made me feel like he wouldn't validate my crazy. He would just <laughs> tell me to how, tell me how it is. Kind of thing. And so I, anyway, so I found him, his name's Corey. He's great. And uh, I only went to therapy for maybe a month, like every week for a month or four, four or five times maybe. 
and he totally did the just that kind of what my OB said. He gave me all these tools to work to work through it and to kind of work through this mental headspace that mm-hmm. I was in. And I was and I was great. Like it only took I tell people all the time, it only took a month, a month and a half of him to get through what if I if I had handled that on my own, I don't even know where I would be now. Yeah. So he he was amazing. And so and then my husband came with me to an to one or two appointments because he was like, you know, I think we should have Devin come because it's all about him. Like all of this emotion is like this weird attachment is with him. And so, and he, and I love that because, which I'll get to this later, but I love that he got to meet Devin Mm -hmm. and see us interact. So anyway, so four or five times, it was great. I was, I was feeling good in control, feeling so much better. And I'm sure my hormones, you know, regulated. Yeah. And we're in up and down. Like, cause when you have to, as I'm sure you guys know, after you have a baby there, they take a significant drop. And so you are more emotional. Mm-hmm. So I hadn't seen Corey or talked to Corey in years. I know that we're not supposed to believe that there's one perfect person for you out there. And I, and I don't believe that. I think there's multiple people, obviously that you could be happy with, but in my particular situation, my husband is like, the way I viewed our relationship and him was my, my person, like my soulmate, if you can believe in soulmate kind of thing, because he was everything I needed plus more and was my perfect match. Like in every way he balanced me out. He motivated me to be better. He loved me just for the way I was. We just, we really got along and I, and I met him when I was 12 so I married wow. the boy that like I had a little childhood crush on. I love that. And and our life was just so blissful. Like he changed my life in so many ways because everything that I said I wanted to be. I, I grew up in this tiny little town and I wanted to leave the tiny town. I wanted to become a city girl. I wanted to go to law school. I didn't know if I ever wanted kids. I just I wanted to break kind of free of this and find who I was. And as I started to break free and follow those dreams, I realized they didn't matter if he wasn't in them. And he wasn't holding me back. He was like my biggest cheerleader. So being married, like changed my plans in every good way. And, and I have no regrets because he gave me a life like I couldn't even, I couldn't even dream of. So we were just so, we were just so happy. And that year, 2018 was like the perfect year. I, I tell people all the time, it was, it couldn't have been better. I mean, we traveled a ton. We visited, so like in October, between October and November, we visited six national parks, like six national parks in a month. And so fun. we just loved, we just were in this really fun stage where our little girl was two and, and we just, it was just great. And we got along so perfectly and life just couldn't really get much better. And it's interesting because I, in December of 2018, I got really sick, like the beginning of December. And I don't even know what I was sick with, but Devin stayed home. And this is just like a reflection of kind of who he was. But I fell asleep and I woke up the next morning and I woke up and it was 10, like past 10. So I freak out and get out of bed because I'm like, oh my gosh, is Lila still, is Lila still sleeping? What is this? And I get up and I realized he was home. And I was like, babe, what are you doing home? And he told me, you're, you're sick. Go back to bed. And I told him, no, no, you, like, you need to go to work. It's fine. And he goes, no, today I need to take care of you. So go back to bed. So, because again, I was so sick. And so I went back to bed and he just stayed home for like three or four days and just completely took care of 
Lila and took care of me. And later that week, I sat in my mom's closet after he went back to work and, and I was feeling better. I sat in my mom's closet as she was doing laundry and just cried and told her, I don't even know what I did to deserve him. I just love him so much. He's just so amazing. And then two weeks later, he was dead. So we, um, we were on our, it was December 23rd of 2018 and we were on our way to see some Christmas lights in Salt Lake uh, city. And we had only made it like 10 minutes from our house when, and we were on the highway going 65, 70 miles an hour when a car just crossed over all her lanes and hit us head on. And we proceeded to roll six times and my husband passed away within minutes, basically on impact. Um, and I had to watch it all. I saw it all. I watched it all. I remember every detail and it's so crazy because as my car was rolling, I, I kept thinking, okay, at some point I'm going to, I'm either going to die or I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to be knocked out. Like, I just kept thinking, when am I going to pass out? When am I going to black out? When, when, like, why am I still not blacking out? And then when our car stopped rolling and, and it was just a mess and the smells and it was just horrible. I, I just kept thinking this did not just happen. Like this did not just happen. And Lila wasn't crying. She had fallen asleep before our wreck, like 10, maybe not 10 minutes. Cause we were about 10 minutes from home, five minutes before our wreck, she'd fallen asleep. So our car stops rolling and she's not crying. And mm. Devin's a mess <sighs> next to me. And my whole front of my car is just in my lap, literally like in our lap. And I knew it was bad. And I can hear all these people screaming behind us like there's no way anyone that in that car is alive there is are any of them alive are any of them breathing and I knew just from looking at Devin and from what people are saying and just from what I have watched I was like this is not good this is not good so they get me out of the car and um and I didn't even know really what condition I was in I was in so much shock and just shaking and I had blood all over me and I and I I had no idea if I was even what condition I was in um, but I had started to try and get out of my seatbelt and make my way to Lila because I could see Devin and he, he didn't look good, but I figured if I'm alive, he's probably just passed out. Like it's, it's kind of denial. Like I, I was like, there's no way he's dead. There's no way. And, um, I, and I was trying to crawl back to Lila cause again, she wasn't crying. So I was like, oh my gosh, Lila, Lila could be dead. And at that point, all of the stuff from our trunk, like our pack and play, because we were staying overnight in Salt Lake, had all flown forward. So I was like, oh, my word, if something knocked her, like the heavy pack and play or something, you know, and she's two. So anyway, so as I started to move back there, um, people were already to our car breaking, trying to break through to get us out. And um, they start pulling me out. And I was yelling, don't break the back windows because my baby's back there. And at this point, Lila starts crying. So I had my, like, my first wave of relief because I was, yeah. okay, okay, she's yeah. okay. So as they go to pull me out, Devin um, starts, the best way I can describe it is he starts gasping kind of for air, like a <clears throat> sound, and his eyes just start rolling back in his head. And I, the last thing I said to him was, honey, don't fight it. Let them get you out. Because I was so worried that he would maybe wake up, panic and then try and, and kind of freak out and, and then do more damage. Cause I kept thinking in my head, if I try to move him, 
I've watched enough Grey's Anatomy to know that if something is like lodged in him and I try to move him, he could bleed out or I could paralyze him. You know, if I tweak something on his back, like, or, so I, I didn't dare touch him because I didn't want to mm. cause more damage. But I never thought that, oh, this is the end. I mean, again, I knew he didn't look good and I, I knew that things are going to have to happen fast if he was going to survive just from the condition that he looked. So they get me out of the car and they lay me flat and they tell me I can't move because they're like, you are most likely internally bleeding and we don't need, and again, something could be wrong with your back or neck or spine or anyways, if you move wrong, then you could be paralyzed. And so they just made me lay flat as I watch, but I could still see my car. So I'm laying flat looking over the side of like my head. Cause I moved my neck um, to see, to try and watch them get him out of the car and just hearing everyone say like, we can't get him out. We can't get him out. And hearing other people scream, like he's not making it. He's not making it. And so um, having to watch that, I was still just kind of in denial. Like, Nope, Nope. He's, he's not dying. He's going to be good. And so I tell the paramedics, my paramedics, they're loading me into my ambulance. I told them, listen, I can't tell you, you can't tell me how he's doing until I'm at the hospital and my baby is with my mom. Cause I had told a random person helping, here's my mom's number, call my mom because my parents were coming to Salt Lake with us and they were, they were behind us. So they had left a little bit after us. And so I said, call her, tell her to come to the hospital. And so, and I looked at my cute little Lila cause when they had pulled her out of the car, um, she was perfectly fine. Like not a scratch, perfectly fine. Wow. And she just oh looked at me with these, with these big eyes, like these huge eyes and just this, you could tell she was trying so hard to be brave, but she was so terrified. And as long as she was by me, she was fine. But the minute someone tried to take her from me, she would freak out. And so I told them, I can't tell you, or you can't tell me how my husband's doing until my baby's with my mom, because I don't want my baby to have to watch this. Because the minute you tell me he, he hasn't made it, I don't even want to know. How I, I mean, I, I don't even want to think about that. So don't tell me how he's doing until she's okay. And so um, they said, okay, but I had heard on their radio that life light was coming. And so I got a flicker of hope, a flicker of hope. I was like, okay, they're coming. It's like, he's going to be okay. Cause you know what? We're going to be that, that story that you hear that you defeat all odds. Cause that's who we are. Like we were, our story's too perfect. God's not going to take him. He doesn't need him more there, you know, that he does here. And it will be okay. So I get to the hospital and it, it really is like a scene out of Grey's Anatomy. They're just cutting, cutting off my clothes and frantically running. And I mean, just going crazy in me. And my mom was already there, thankfully. My parents were both already there. And so my mom takes Lila. So I felt another wave of relief, like, okay, she's in good hands. So it's going to be okay. And they, they're cutting off my clothes and the one funny story we shared from the hospital, and I don't even remember saying this, but I guess my mom told me or that I had told the nurse because they were just frantically cutting. I told the nurse, if you cut my hair, I'm going to cut you. So <laughs> you better get it out of the way because I have, I have really long hair and I was apparently really worried that they were going to cut my hair. So that was one funny story that we shared from the emergency room. And now I feel so bad. But anyway, so they, they get me to my scans and my dad comes with me and I tell my dad, dad, I don't, I don't know if he's going to make it. And my dad's like, no, he's going to make it. It'll be okay. Life light was heading there. It'll be okay. And as I was sitting in my, this huge 
machine getting my scans, I just knew, I knew, like I have this overwhelming, overwhelming feeling of it is just Lila and I now. And I kind of had it in the ambulance, but I was like, nope, push that to the back of your mind, push it to the back of your mind. And as I was in those scans, I, I, I really knew it's just her and I now. So they get me out. So they bring me back, wheel me back to my um, room in the ER. And cause at this point they thought they're really worried that I was internally bleeding um, and that I was going to be, anyways, have to be rushed back to surgery. So I get back to my room and I, and at this point, my dad, like five minutes previous had walked back to my room when I was in the middle of my scans. And I look over to the corner and my, my dad is a big, strong man, big bodybuilder, weightlifter. And he's, he's my definition of like strong and he, he doesn't show emotion. And I look over at him and here's my strong dad shaking, sobbing. I mean, just shaking, sobbing. And I look over at the social worker because they assign a social worker at the hospital to you um, to be kind of the middleman, the communication between you and the scene of the wreck. So I look over at her and I say, my, my husband, and she just starts bawling and goes, I'm so sorry. And my mom walks over and I was like, no. And my mom walks over and she's like, Jordy, he's gone. He didn't make it. And I, I, I honestly don't remember much after that. Um, I think your brain purposely blocks it out because it's so traumatic. Um, But I just remember thinking no. And from what my mom and some of the nurses told me, I, I guess that I just started yelling, no, no no, he can't be dead. And if he said, I have to be dead. And then I started screaming, like, why didn't he take me too? Why didn't he take me with him? I'm supposed to go with him. No, I just want to die too. And was frantic that so mad that I wasn't, that I didn't die too. Then I grabbed another nurse and asked her just to give me something. It was, it was so, my mom's like, you have no idea as a mother, how traumatic that was to watch you and to want and to know like your whole life just crumbled. Like it just crumbled. And so, um, at that point, I was very medicated, in the, and I didn't notice so months later, but I guess my parents signed something saying that, like, I wasn't in the right state of mind. So they, um, they, I was really medicated while I was in the hospital um, because I was, and I, and I remember being just, I would, I would just cry, but I wouldn't, I, I, like, almost couldn't feel anything because they were just trying to keep me stable I guess and um and I the doctor came in a couple hours later and he told me he pulled out my scans and he said I have there's no medical 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 explanation why you're okay but he said all your scans show these massive contusions all over your organs and you should be bleeding out you don't get hit with that amount of force and your car looking the way it did and you sitting where you were and, and not, and be in this condition. So I had to stay in the hospital and be hooked up to these machines that help you not get blood clots so that I wouldn't, it wouldn't turn into internal bleeding because they were so worried that could happen. And uh, I remember sitting in my hospital bed, not sleeping. I mean, I wasn't, I didn't get any sleep sitting there and my dad stayed the night with me and my mom took Lila back to their house. But my, I just remember sitting there and, and praying, like asking God to just take me too, 
Like I just sat and begged, please, please just take me to like, let, let me internally bleed out. Let it happen. Just, just take me please. Because in that moment, I had no idea how I was going to take on life without him because he was my person, like my voice of reason, my calm, my, my best friend, my everything. And I was like, there's no way, like things like this don't happen to him and I. And, um, as I got ready the next morning, so at this point it's Christmas Eve, the doctor came in and he asked me, um, do you want me to give you some medication? And I told him, no, I don't want any. And he told me, are you sure? And I looked at him and I just said, this is my, my husband just died. I have to find a way to work through this. I can't numb what I'm feeling. I need to feel everything I'm feeling and I don't want something to numb that. And so he was like, okay, if you change your mind, let me know. We got in the car and one of the first things I said to my mom after asking her how Lila did and all that, because I was released Christmas Eve, I told my mom, call Corey, my therapist. I was like, call Corey. And um, my mom was like, because they, the, the doctors had told my parents too, she really, like, we highly recommend she goes to therapy. She's seen so much on top of of this like so her husband died and then on top of it all she watched it so she has a lot she needs to work through and my my mom said oh she found a good therapist at one point and so anyways we're in the car I'm telling her call Corey so um Corey was out of town because it was Christmas and so I couldn't get an appointment with him until um it was like January 3rd because of all the holidays you know everything's shut down for Christmas and New Year so he was out of town and, uh, again, they asked me the week of the week of my husband's funeral. And so he died on the 23rd and then we had Christmas and then, um, his viewing was on the 28th or 29th, the 29th. And, uh, again, uh, my OB called me to check in on me cause she's amazing. And she was like, are you sure you don't want anything? And I'm not. I'm not in any way an anti-medication person as far as that goes, but that period in my life, I was like, I need to feel this. I, I need to let myself feel this and I need to find a way to, to feel it and to cope. Mm-hmm. And I don't want any of it to be numb. So I just want to feel it and work through it. I want to find a way to work through it and process it as best I can. Where so, do you um, think I'm, that that really strong desire to work through it and to feel it was coming from? Um, you know, that is such a good question. I, my whole life, my personality has always been like a a fighter and I don't, and I don't know what better word to use, but I don't like people would, when people would tell me I couldn't do something, I was more, even more determined to do it. You're like, I'm doing it now. Yes. And I remember in the hospital, in my hospital bed, also thinking and kind of having Devin in my mind telling me this can break me or this can build me. And I refuse to let this break me. Like I, it will, it will not for Lila's sake and for him and for like, I, it will not break me. And so I have to find a way to, to work through it. Mm -hmm. And I, and I knew that he would want me to do that. And I could kind of hear him in the back of my mind telling me, this isn't the Jordan I know. This isn't the Jordan I know. Cause he would tell me all the time because because my dad again is really into bodybuilding and my husband was too really really into that 
And he would tell me while we were dating, you're Shane's daughter. You're the toughest chick I know. And I could hear him like, and I swear to you, it was his voice in the hospital telling me, you are the toughest chick I know. Like you, you can do it. You can do it. And so I, and so, yeah, I just kind of had this, I don't know, mindset that no, I, I will, I will do this. Like, do I want to do it? Absolutely not. But I, I can do this. And I know he knows I can do this and he's, he's going to be here every step of the way, making sure I can do this. And so I got through the viewing and I got through the funeral and I remember someone came up to me, a family member and asked me to get some medication. And I said, no. And they were like, are you sure you need the medication? And I said, no, I don't. No, I don't. I will, I will be fine. And and I did it. Like I got through the week and then, um, I, the, my appointment came to see Corey, my therapist and he walks it, he walks up to me and he, and he gives me a hug anyway and says, I'm so sorry. And I could tell he was emotional. And he told me Jordan, the, literally the first, after he told me he was sorry, um, about everything, he tells me, Jordan, I wholeheartedly believe that what we worked through the first time we met was to prepare you for this. He was like, it was to prepare you for this because I had to give you the tools and the skills to get through a day without Devin. And now we have to apply those to a lifetime without Devin. And I looked at him and I hadn't even thought about that. And I looked at him and I was like, you are right. And I think back on, had I not found Corey when I did, I don't know if he could have been the instrumental tool that I needed when Devin died. I don't know if I would have even found him. Yeah. And so because him and I already had this, this, you know, patient client, whatever we want to call it relationship, we already had a really good foundation, a good base. I trusted him. And so it was so much easier for me to be able to get right into the heavy and the dark and the deep and, and he really, I mean, when I, when I told you, Taylor, he, he saved me. Therapy saved me because every week he would give me the tools I needed to get through another week. We would just focus on the week. Him and I wouldn't focus on my future. Him and I wouldn't focus on, we just would try and focus on that week and what I was going to do to try and get through that week to break it down. And grief is so, I mean, you guys are therapists, I'm sure you know this. But grief is not a linear process. You know, it's not a stage one and one through six. And by the time you hit stage six, it's over. It would be nice if it was. Oh, I sign me up if it works like that. (laughs) Yes. I so wish it was. But it's not. And so he was so instrumental in helping me work through each of those. The anger, the depression, the sadness. And I really struggled, really struggled for a long time with that anger. I was so angry at God and I was so angry at Devin that he didn't take me with him. I was so mad um, because I was so sick of people telling me you're a miracle. Like it's a miracle that you're here. And um, I was like, but I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. And I think that people can look at that and say, how like that's so selfish of you. How dare you say that your baby needs you. And my baby, I don't think for one second that I wanted to leave my baby because I didn't. But I remember looking at her like a week or so after Devin died and thinking, 
how can I be what she needs me to be? Like she lost a parent and then she, I feel like I died when he died, like a huge part of me died. So she is left with a fourth of what she had. Like, how is that a fourth? Like, how can I even be what she needs me to be? And, and I remember Corey telling me, Jordan, but your fourth is better than some people's like 100 and your fourth will grow from a fourth into half into you will be, you can do it and giving me all these tools that I needed to be able to take my life back and actually want to live my life again. Because I threw myself into Lila and he was the one that helped me see Jordan, you have to do what's best for you. Like, and what's best for you is in turn what's best for Lila. Because I was like, well, no, that's not best for Lila. That's not what's best for Lila. Because in all of my choices, like whether or not I was going to move or um, lots of other things, he, I kept thinking, well, that's not, that's not what's best for Lila. And he kept playing me, but is it what's best for you? Because you have to think about what's good for you. And, and, and without therapy, I don't know how I would have processed any of that, you know? And, and grief does really weird things to other people as well. Um, and I had to deal with a lot of, a, a, I was kind of the target for other people that were close to Devin, like their grief was, was shot to me and kind of taken out on me. And so I had to, I had to process that. And, and I, I really don't know where I would be or how I would be without him because he, he's just given me all the tools that I need. And that's how I, what I tell people therapy is now, like I proudly tell people, that I go to therapy and it's the yeah. best day of my, I don't go every week anymore. I only see him once a month now. Um, but I tell people he's the best, like the, de- the best day of the month, literally. <laughs> and because it's just so good. And he's there as a tool. And like, he was my lifeline for me and he's, and therapy is there as a tool. So why, when people are emotionally struggling, especially with the way the world is now, I mean, 2020 came in with like a, a rage, I swear. And I feel like mm-hmm. now even more than ever, I want people to understand therapy is, a, it's not for the weak. It's not for those who have problems. Therapy is, the, therapy is something I think everyone should do and should almost have to do because it is such a valuable asset and a valuable tool to just give you these learning be, yeah, these learning tools to help you cope with not what not just trauma, but everyday life. Um, and then I also let's see what this was when like nine months after Devin passed away, I also tried EMDR therapy, and my therapist doesn't do EMDR, and so he kind of referred me um, to someone else, but. I did a couple sessions of that to cope with the trauma because of yeah. what I saw. So what I had was so that much experience like for you in EMDR? You know, EMDR is so interesting because you have to, you have to relive it. You know, you have the way that it, the, and I think, and from what I understand, everyone does EMDR a little bit differently. Um, but with the, the lady that I saw, you, you have to relive it a little bit. Um, and it was interesting because I had a friend tell me you're going to feel really triggered and really off the first probably couple of days. 
and you're probably going to wonder what in the world did I just do? <laughs> yeah. And I was like, okay. And why so, did and I go I did. back there? <laughs> yes. Yes, I did. And, and then after it was like a week after I remember just feeling so much lighter. Like I felt like a, like she had kind of almost re wired my neurological pathways a little bit to where it didn't seem as triggering to think about it, to go back to that space in my head of my wreck and what I saw and driving became a little bit easier. And so to relive the trauma was really hard at first. And and then after it became lighter, I guess is how I would describe it. <laughs> if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. I'm just really curious about this because I think a lot of times grief can especially be triggered on anniversaries. So last year, yes. if I'm correct, is like the one year anniversary of this. Yes. Yeah. And how was that? And especially it being right around a holiday season. Mm-hmm. Oh, so <laughs> Christmas for me is, you know, it's like the most magical time of year. Um, and for me, it's now the most dreaded time of year. Um, because that day, so my cute mom and sister and grandma and Lila and I tried to kind of plan a getaway, um, so that I didn't have to be by like, like home or by the, just so I can be maybe a little bit taken out of the seat, but the scene of which I was in, um, like at my parents' house or by the hospital or passing our wreck or, you know, anything like that. Um, and I, and I just, on the, I remember I woke up on the 23rd and I just kept thinking, oh my gosh, like this day, my, like everything changed for me. Everything changed. Everything. He's been gone a year and Lila's birthday is also in December. And so with that anniversary also kind of pulled in a lot of pain, knowing that my little baby had now lived a third of her life without her dad. Um, all within like, you know, the same short span because they're both a couple weeks apart from me, the her birthday and the anniversary of his death. And, um, I, and, and I guess I'll kind of, so you asked me specifically about the one year, but people, it's interesting because I think for me and maybe not everyone's this way, but people think that probably holidays are the hardest. Right. And for me, his birthday is really hard um, because it's another year that like he, he won't ever get to live that year. He won't, he'll, he'll be 29 forever. Um, and so his birthday is really hard. Our anniversary, extremely hard, extremely hard because our anniversary is special to just him and I, you know, it's a day that, and it was my, and Devin was so, we were so good at things like that like anniversaries and birthdays and making me feel so loved and so special. And, and I just, our anniversary was a really, really hard one because I just kept thinking, Oh my word, I've, I had five with him and now I'm going to have 50 without him. Yeah. So that one was hard. Um, and then obviously his death anniversary, those three are really hard and holidays are obviously very hard, but it's the little moments that are the hardest. So the reason I say that is because, so Christmas is hard, obviously, but Devin and I, when we got married, we started a tradition of on the 23rd, 
on December 23rd because Christmas Eve, both of our families do big Christmas Eve things. We'd alternate every other year. So when we got married and it was his idea that we needed to have our own Christmas tradition. And so because Christmas Eve and Christmas are kind of reserved, we'll do it on the 23rd. And we get Chinese takeout and we watch a Christmas mu- uh, movie. And anyways, we do all these things. That's kind of like our little thing. And then we did it every year. So the anniversary of his death landed on such a horrible day. <laughs> because for me, the 23rd was my favorite day. Mm-hmm. Because it was the day that him and I did things. Just him and I. And Devin and I were really big on doing things. Like Devin would tell me all the time, um, it's just me, you and babes, like he called Lila. We called her babes or Lila babes. And he would tell me, it's just me, you and babes. My whole world is me, you and babes. Or like, and that's all I care about. And so that 23rd, like that day was just so special. And so on the one year anniversary of his death, and I had gone to therapy earlier that week and talked to Corey kind of all about it and worked through a bunch of things that, on the anniversary of his death, I was so, so sad, but I was also, I just kind of kept having this feeling um, from him that was like, Jordan, you've got to keep making December 23rd a happy day. Like you can't, you can't make it this doomsday thing, like carry out what I started with Lila, make it special for you and, and for you and her. And I will, I'll be there. Like I'll keep coming. And so now, when I think of December 23rd, I think of, as I, as it'll come up this year, and it's funny because my mom's already since asked me, like, do you, should we plan a getaway? What do you want to do? And I kind of told her, no, I want to be alone on the 23rd, just me and Lila. My mom was like, why? That's not healthy. And I told her, because it's mine and Lila's day to celebrate our little Christmas things. And so I've tried to make the anniversary of his death because it's obviously ridden with so much pain, Mm -hmm. but I've also tried to make it what it was before he died at the same time, if that makes sense. Um, So that someday as Lila gets older, I can tell her this is a tradition that daddy and I started. And even though it is a sad day, we remember daddy by still doing what, like what him and I started, what him and I would want us to do which in a way is more celebrating his life rather than mourning his life because we're always mourning his life. I mean, I mourn it every day. Mm. And so on that day, which I could, I could choose to just stay in bed all day and, and wallow in the day of it being the day that he died. But I try really hard not to have it be that. And instead to be like a special day and not, and on the day. So because we were gone on this first year anniversary, we went to Devin and I's favorite restaurant and I drank his favorite soda and I tried to do things that just reminded me so much of him. And I, there was lots of tears still, obviously, but I tried to kind of honor his life as much as I did mourn his life that day, because in my mind, like that's a, for me, it was, that was easier than just staying in my sadness the whole day because then if I stay in my sadness for that whole day then Christmas is ruined Mm -hmm. because once you get in that at least for me when I get in the really dark moments which there have been plenty it's really hard for me to to pull out of them really really hard 
And therapy, Corey, has helped me realize what those patterns are that get me there. So when I see them coming, I try and divert so that I don't get into that dark of a place. And he, we call it my, um, my five minutes. So because he told me like a couple months after Devin died, he's like, Jordan, you, you have the, this problem, not a problem, but I don't even remember exactly how he phrased it. He said, you tend to just, you don't want to, you tend to push it aside because you're trying to be strong and, and you just push it aside, but then it just accumulates and you implode. And then you have a week where like, you can't even hardly function. And so he said, you need to allow yourself your five minutes. And so whenever I feel triggered or really sad or something comes up, even if it's just driving or if it's, you know, so I had one actually just two days ago. Um, I was putting on some lotion. I was at my parents' house and I was putting on this lotion and I'd never put it on before. It's just a random one I grabbed from my mom's drawer and it smelled like the Devin's cologne, like so much like his cologne. And I just started shaking and was like, nope, nope, pull it together. And then I was like, no, don't pull it together. Like let it out. And so for five minutes, I just sat in the bathroom and just cried over this cologne. And then I looked at my phone It had been five minutes and I was like, okay, okay, we're going to, we're going to go out and we're going to, we're going to keep on going with our day. And so I have those five minute moments where wherever I am or whatever it is I'm doing, when I feel that intense emotion come up, that intense sadness, a trigger of some sort that reminds me of him or the harsh, like sharp realization of what my life is. I just let myself feel it. And I have my five minutes and then I'm okay. Or I'm, or I get to be okay, you know, but I, I keep going, I keep moving forward. And that has helped me so much, but the five minute tool, I never would have even known about. I never would have done that if it hadn't have been for therapy and him, him helping me learn little tools like that one. Well, and Jordan, just hearing you talk about all these things and how you're articulating all of these things. Like, I love that little story you said about your husband um, saying you're the, st- the strongest chick he knows. Because that's like so true. Like just hearing you talk about like we are not far from this major traumatic event that happened to you. And I mean, not everybody goes to therapy and, you know, is ready to do the work. And I think you have just really dug in and done a lot of work. And I can just I can tell by how you're talking about this and that doesn't mean that like there aren't really hard moments and that it isn't like still so devastating, but I love that you're using um, what happened in that therapy office and the things you learned to communicate. Like there are things that can help and there are things that can help healing and it doesn't have to just be the passage of time that can help the grief process. Yes. It can be like tangible tools that you can do every day to help. You are showing up. And I know, and especially in all this, you're attributing a lot of this to your therapist. And I mean, he sounds, he sounds wonderful. I cannot tell you how good it is to hear somebody else talk about what a great experience they've had with the therapist. Cause that just warms <laughs> our little therapist hearts. But But like KJ just said, like you are showing up with so much strength and so much openness and vulnerability and power. And you are just, 
like she said, you're going to that office and you're taking it all in and you're stepping up for yourself. And that really hit me when you said, I try to make it a better day. I try to do this. And I think that keyword of try is super poignant right here because you're trying, you are trying your best and you're showing up with what you have and you're seeing results from that because that's coming from you. That's coming from inside and who you are as a person. And that is, that's really inspiring for sure. Oh, you guys are so sweet. Thank you. There, and that reminded me actually of something else that my therapist and I talk about. So I was in a, in a session one day and I was telling him, but I should be doing this. Like Mm -hmm. I I should be doing this. I should be doing this. And he was like, no, 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 no. Should is not a word that we use in your life or in your equation (laughs) or in your situation. We don't use should. Mm -hmm. And um, him and I share similar religious backgrounds, which is funny because I didn't even know that we did um, for a long time, but he quoted something um, from a a book in the scripture in our, in our religious text. And it said, it, it says we are saved after all we can do. And he said, some people take that as like, you give it all you can. And then maybe, maybe you'll be saved. But he was saying, your can is, you don't replace, so take out should, like, I should be doing this. He's like, you take it out and you say, I can do this. So, like, if I'm looking at, like, I should be taking my lips to the park more. You look at it of, like, you focus more on what you can do. And what you can do is good enough. Not what you should be doing, what you can do. And that was so powerful to me because he said, your can will expand over time. And he told me, you need to give yourself some grace. You've gone through, he's like, you have gone through something bigger than anyone can almost comprehend. And I love therapy too, because it's so validating, you know, like I, um, I would, I would say things sometimes like, well, lots of people have hard things. Lots of like, all people have hard things. I'm not the only one. And he was like, yes, you're right. People have hard things. But he's like, Jordan, you lost the person that is your forever. Like you literally, everything about your life changed. He was like your future, your day to day, your we, everything about it changed. So he said, it's okay to mourn, fully mourn the life that you want to not only mourn him, but mourn your life. And for crying out loud, it like, and to acknowledge how big it changed to like, cause I don't ever want to, I don't ever want to play victim. And I don't mm-hmm. ever want people to pity me and, and which is stupid. That's probably like a pride thing that I need to work through. <laughs> but he was like, it's okay. He's like, it's okay. Like feel, feel your situation and, and know that you are going through something that is so hard. Like one of the hardest things someone could go through one of the hardest. And I was like, you know what? You're right. Like I think that, but I've never wanted to say it out loud. Mm-hmm. Like I've been too scared to vocally say, you know what, I'm going through one of the hardest things I've ever gone through because I've never ever, or that someone could go through because I've never wanted anyone to look at me and pity me. And I've never wanted to play victim. But when he says it, I'm like, thank you. It's so validating. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, you're right. It's okay. Like I need to feel this and work through this. And I, I try and wake up every day with, with that kind of can should idea. I kind of try and wake up and ask myself, what can I do today? What can I give today? 
Mm-hmm. So like, and if I'm feeling really heavy, cause I still have days where I don't want to get up and I, and I go back to that really wishing, like, why didn't I just get to die too? Mm-hmm. But I get up and if I'm feeling that heaviness, if I'm feeling like, you know what, I got to sit with this for a minute. I need to sit in this space and really see and really mourn my, mourn my life mm-hmm. and mourn him and just really try and kind of tap into feeling him and, and feeling that sadness, then I will kind of plan my day according to that. Mm-hmm. So like, if I know it's, I'm, I'm kind of more emotionally volatile, I'll try and call my mom or my sister and ask them, Hey, do you think you could have a grandma Lila day for a minute? Mm-hmm. Like just for an hour or two, because I've tried really hard, really hard to show Lila that it's what my emotions are and to talk her through them. Cause I'm a big believer in like when she's upset telling her, okay, talk to mommy. Why are you upset? What's making you sad? And let's talk about it and work through it. So I'll tell her like when she's seen me sad, mommy's really sad. I miss dad. And then I'll, and then we'll talk about dad, but the really, really dark, I don't want her seeing. Mm-hmm. I don't want her to see the really, really dark. And so when I know I'm kind of in that head space, she gets to have like a mommy grandma day is what we call it. Or mm-hmm. a Aunt Larlar Lila day mm-hmm. where they'll like take her for a, just an hour or two and I will sit with it. Yeah. with whatever it is I need to kind of work through. And then we work through it and then we push, push on. But then another day I might wake up and say, what can I give today? And what can I do? And I may be feeling extra strong, like, okay, I've got this, I can do it. And then Lila and I go have a killer day, mm-hmm. but every day it varies. And I, and I've learned to accept that it's okay. It's yeah. okay that it's different. And it's okay that some days all I can give is to wake up, get my teeth brushed, and, and that's it. Like, that's yeah. all I can give for the day. And it really sounds like you're one of the tools that you have worked on or developed, or maybe this comes really naturally to you is that emotional awareness piece of knowing what you're feeling, knowing what's coming, recognizing it, accepting it, and then creating a plan after that. Because a lot of the times when we don't have that skill of being so emotionally aware and knowing exactly what we're feeling and how it's going to affect us. That's when we get derailed, but it's really impressive that you're able to get up, notice what's going on, notice how your mind and your body are feeling and how they're connecting and then acting accordingly. And I can just see that that helps you so much. And I think it's interesting because emotion and thank you. You're, you're, you're sweet to say that. Cause again, some days I don't feel like that. Some days I feel yeah. like train wreck central <laughs> and like the grief has consumed every part of me and there is mm-hmm. no way to get out kind of mm-hmm. thing. But I think it's interesting because so many people, I think in general are your emotions are scary, mm-hmm. especially the emotions tied with grief, the anger, the sadness that, you know, and, and it's, and people don't want to feel them. And so instead we push them away. And that was part of the reason that I, I, again, I didn't want to be on medication Mm -hmm. was because I was like, I, I, I need to feel these and I need to find a way to work through them. I can't just suppress them. And, and that, and that does not mean there's anything wrong with it because everyone has to do what's best for them. And I'm a big believer in that. But for me, I, I needed to find a way to work through them. And mm-hmm. so I was like, I will. And if I can't, then I'll go 
you know, I'll, I'll find plan B and figure out what, and maybe that is getting on medication. I don't know. But, but for me, I just, I wanted to find a way to work through those emotions because they were things too, that what happened to me wasn't a short term thing. Mm -hmm. You know, people talk about trials and, and I hate when people say, I'm so grateful for my trials. I yeah, you no thank because you. I'm like, no, I am never <laughs> going to be grateful for this. But this wasn't a you know little bump in the road trial. This was a life changing, life altering trial. And so I was like, I have to find a way to process and work through it so I can move forward with my life. And I hate when people say move on. Because I'm not moving on, I'm moving forward. I'm not moving yeah. on past what happened to me. I'm not moving on past him. I'm not, because to me, moving on means like you are done with something, you're moving on to the next thing. I'm not mm -hmm. done with this. I'm never going to be done with this. And so I have to take it. It's going to come with me always as I move forward. So I needed to be able to learn how to process and work through it so that I could move forward and do so in a, as healthy of a way as I possibly could because it wasn't just about me and it's not just about me. It's about my baby mm -hmm. too. And she deserves it. She already got robbed of one thing. And so I, I, she was such the fire underneath some of like my rage <laughs> mm -hmm. as far as to figure it out. Cause I was like, she deserves a mom who has, who can figure it out. And she does not deserve a mom who just wallows in sadness every day. Like she, I need to be present for her and to show up for her because that, and I've had so many, you know, you don't, I don't do this alone either. I have so many amazing people in my life aside just from therapy. And I've had so many crazy experiences that have also helped me get to that point. Mm -hmm. And, and to know that, that I'm not doing this alone. I'm not alone. And I firmly believe that Devin has been such a, a crucial, like a, he has helped me so much in ways that I can't even describe, even though he's not physically here anymore. He set me up with the right tools and he helped me become the person that I need to be so that I could take this on. Like, it's crazy how many things I think about conversations we had or things I find of his that are like what I need to keep going and to keep working through it. I think that's so powerful. And I don't know, Jordan, I just want to express to you that like my why as a therapist is I, I really believe that people have the ability to overcome really, really difficult experiences and to heal. Um, and so like hearing you talk about therapy has been like really life giving for me as a therapist, mm -hmm. but also just <laughs> as a, as a human, mm -hmm. like just hearing you, like my takeaway from, from hearing about your experiences just to not take things for granted. And I really appreciated kind of those little things you shared about you and your husband and your little traditions and like the really simple things in life that you talked about how you miss those so much. And it is just a reminder to like not take those little simple moments for granted because really like those things can mean the world. Mm -hmm. Um, those moments of connection with the people we love and 
I like I have just taken a lot from this. I just really appreciate your openness and, mm-hmm. and being willing to talk to us about this. Mm-hmm. Oh, you guys are so nice. Thank you. I I hope that people like when I share my therapy experience, I don't ever want people I want I want people to understand that that how heavy grief can be, but also that that I, I agree with you that you you can still find, you can still find healing, mm-hmm. you know, and grief will forever be a part of you, but you can turn that part and that part of you into a powerful thing. And and that's one thing I've struggled with too, a lot that I've had to work on and I'm still working on is that my life, I, I write in a gratitude journal every night and I rank my day a one through 10. And since seven died, I've never once had a 10 out of 10 day. Mm-hmm. And I struggle knowing like I, I will never get another 10 out of 10 day. Cause how could I, mm-hmm. he's not here. My favorite person, my, the person I love more than anything isn't here. So how could I ever have a 10 out of 10 days? And I've had to kind of come to this conclusion that, you know what, but a nine out of 10 day is still great. And you can still find so much joy and so much happiness in a nine out of 10 day. And that there's something beautiful and beautiful in the heartbreak almost. And so when I think of my nine out of 10 days, my focus is almost shifted to, you know what? I'm so lucky that he gave me so many 10 out of 10 days. And that because I have something so beautiful that I got to share, it's okay that I might never get another 10 out of 10 days because a nine out of 10 is so great. Mm-hmm. And it can still be great, but I don't have to sit and focus on that. I, because I think I could easily get caught up in, I have one out of 10 days and this is what my life is going to be forever. I'm never going to get higher than a three, mm-hmm. but instead I try and focus it on more. And no, I can still, I can still have a good day. I can still have a good life. I can still have a beautiful life. Will it be different than what I expected? Yes. Is it different than what I wanted? Yes. Would I take him back in a heartbeat? Absolutely. But that's not an option. And so I have to focus on what I can control. And what I can control is whether or not I try and make my life so happy and 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 to look forward to my future in whatever way I can. Honestly, Jordan, like just having just met you and just talked to you really for the first time tonight, it's it's just we can you can just feel how beautiful that relationship was with your husband like that beauty and that just that sacred relationship is just so palpable to me and just listening to you talk about him and listening to who he was it's it just really shows that you know they say that you know our grief and our pain is a manifestation of our love and so it just shows Mm -hmm. that your love Mm -hmm. was so powerful and that is why your pain is so great and so I just think that that relationship is that's something that's going to live on forever because you loved so much. And it's really, oh, it's just really you. beautiful, really beautiful. And just super grateful that you shared this, all of this with us tonight. It was oh. a really special thing for us. Thank you. I, tr- I try and I do consider parts of Demonized relationships just that so sacred. Mm-hmm. And so I don't share them because I have people ask me a lot like you should share more about what he did for you or you know things Mm -hmm. like that and I'm like but I just 
I don't want to, because that yeah. is so special to him and I, and mm-hmm. I don't want anyone almost in on that yeah. sacredness of it. Yeah. The only person that I ever want to let in on that is Lila. Like I want Lila to be able to someday see. And I remember feeling so sad. I was in another therapy appointment. So sad. Cause I was like, what is this going to show Lila about relationships? Mm-hmm. You know, cause my parents have such a phenomenal one. And so I truly believe that because of their example, it's given my siblings and I the emotional tools to see what a good relationship should be. And so I was like, but what does this teach Lila? What does this teach Lila? And my therapist, again, I'm so glad he met Devin because he told me, he was like, you could see, he's like, I could see in the brief times I met Devin, how much he loved you. He was like, it was um, incredible to me to see, like, to see what you guys interact. And he said, Lila will know because of the way you talk about her dad. Mm. He was like, she may not visually see it, but she will hear it and she will see it and have a sense for it all because of the way through your eyes, because of how you see him. Mm-hmm. And I, that was so powerful to me because I was like, okay, you're right. You're right. She can still have a shot. She can still see what a beautiful relationship is. And does that mean it was a perfect one? Absolutely not. Cause none are like, I will never tell anyone it was perfect. You know, we mm-hmm. never argued. We never yeah. nothing but it was so, it was perfect for him and I, mm-hmm. like it was, it was, it just fit so well. So, so thank you. That is like the highest compliment to me <laughs> is when people, people can like feel how much yeah. I love him Yeah, because he was just incredible. He was so, so incredible, mm-hmm. but you guys are so sweet. Thank you again for having me. I oh, so appreciate it. You. Thanks for joining us today. We want to create a community of inclusion where we can have conversations about topics that you need help with or have questions about. We want you to have a voice in this process, so please let us know what you want to hear about on future episodes. You can email us at thoughtspod at gmail.com, and if you search thoughtspod, you can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. All original music is composed by Milan Vrijic from Valley of the Bears, and our logos are by Rick Thomas. Thanks for joining us.